Second Kings chapter five this morning. I want to share with you something. Um, I was at a revival on Tuesday night, and uh, Pastor Zane Brooks was preaching in Wichita. Uh, wasn't his text at all. He was actually preaching on Daniel and Daniel's decision not to eat uh, the defiled meats that the king wanted him to eat. But during that sermon, he referenced Naaman, and I preached on Naaman uh, multiple times and. Something stuck out to me in the text of Second Kings that I've just never seen it before. And it was that Naaman's rejection to the healing that was offered him was simply that the Jordan River was dirty. It was polluted. And his response was, we've got other rivers that are uh, better, cleaner, back home. And I'm just going to try to give it to you this morning the way that God gave it to me. But I heard that and I was sitting there and this thought just raced through my heart that the river might be polluted, but the God of the river still makes all things new. This morning, I'll ask you to stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. We'll begin in verse 10 and just read a few short verses. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parfer and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? And I tell you, that is still the command this morning. Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times into Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Father, we love you this morning. God, it has been a privilege, Lord, just to meet with your people. God, to worship you. And Lord, you are most certainly worthy of our worship, Father. God, You loved us, Lord, when we weren't worth loving, Father. And we love You this morning because You first loved us, Lord. And God, I just sense, Lord, that You still have work to do here this morning. And God, I pray that right now, God, for the next few moments, Lord, of our day, God, that we would understand this isn't our day, it's Your day. And God, help us to give You our attention, Lord. And God, may You anoint our ears that we can hear and our hearts that we might understand, our, our eyes that we might see. And Lord, this morning, I pray that You would save sinners, Lord. And God, that You would bring people into Your kingdom, Lord, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God, I pray that You would anoint me to preach, God. I acknowledge now before these people, but most importantly before You, that, God, I need unction from heaven to preach in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost of God this morning. Not in my own wisdom, Lord. Not in my own strength. But, Lord, in You and in Christ alone, Lord. Will I find my strength. God, have Your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
before I get to our text this morning, I want to share with you something about the Jordan River. A good place to start would be where the Jordan starts. Amen? There is a mountain just north of Palestine called Mount Hermon. We find this Mount Hermon in Psalms 89 and verse 12. And we read about the dew of Mount Hermon. It stands about 9,200 feet above the Mediterranean. It is the largest mountain in Palestine. It is so tall that year-round, even during the hot and parched times of the year, year-round, Mount Hermon constantly has snow on its peak that melts down waters that flow and make up the headwaters of the Jordan River. Its modern name is still called the Chief Mountain. And in whatever part of Palestine the Israelite would turn his eye northward, Hermon was there reminding him of God's everlasting care for their people. Our Lord and His disciples climbed this high mountain, and they remained there one night, And during the night He was transfigured before them, and His face did shine as the sun. The next day they would descend off of Mount Hermon into Caesarea Philippi. It is this great mountain of God that the Jordan flows from. We find the Jordan River first mentioned in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. If you remember when Abraham and Lot had come to a place and Lot was wanting the same land that Abraham had. And Abraham prayed about it. And Abraham just told Lot, you pick where you want and I'll go wherever you don't want. The Bible tells us that Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. And they separated from each other. Jordan was a river of life. It was through the Jordan River that the nation of Israel would have to pass to enter into the Canaan land. God would supernaturally cause this river to open up when the priest would step foot in it while holding the Ark of the Covenant. Both Elijah and Elisha would strike the river with their staffs and the waters would part. And Jesus Himself was baptized in this very river that God told Naaman he would find healing. Yet, for some reason, Naaman was furious. And Naaman rejected the Jordan River. Why did Naaman reject the Jordan River? Look at our text. Are not the Abana, verse 12... And the poffer in the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went in a rage. First of all, Naaman thought that their rivers were sufficient or even better than the dirty Jordan. He thought that their methods, if you will, of getting cleaned up were better than God's methods. Can I tell you this morning, there's still only one way. 
There's not a lot of ways to heaven. There's not a lot of ways to be saved. There's one way, and His name is Jesus Christ. This morning, you've still got to go through the river of God if you want to be saved. You can't just decide you're going to be a better person. You can't just pick any old faith. All roads don't lead to heaven. The road is narrow. The gate is narrow. The path is narrow. And there is one way this morning. The world's still saying the same thing Naaman said on that day. Aren't our methods just as good as yours? Isn't, uh, don't we all just believe in the same God? And isn't it all about just acknowledging that, that you're a, 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 a person in need of a Savior? And, and maybe these people believe in this God and these people believe in that God, but don't all roads lead to the same way? No, friend, they don't. There's only one way this morning, and His name is Jesus Christ. And either you've been plunged through the blood of the Lamb and you've come out clean, white as snow, or you haven't entered in at all. Naaman thought that their waters were just as sufficient. He noticed that the Jordan River, he knew that it was polluted, if you will. And I'm just going to give it to you the way that God gave it to me. My mind rolled back and I, I can't help but believe with, with, with every fiber of my being, and, and we could waste a lot of time trying to prove it out, but that every river, including the Jordan, was spotless and clean and perfect and crystal clear before the fall. Before this world was shaken up and, and before the flood of Noah, before God had to do what He did to this earth, and before the fall of man, everything was perfect. And I think about this river where God says you'll find healing, but yet when Naaman looks at it, he says it's not clean. And I tell you this morning, you need to get your eyes off of people. There's so many folks that reject the church and they reject the message of the gospel and they reject Jesus because they look at folks like me who aren't perfect and, and they look at the fact that there's still dirt in the water. And can I tell you that don't look at the dirt this morning. Don't look at fallen man this morning. There is a God in heaven who is still perfect and holy and blameless and He is the answer to the fall. We must keep our eyes on the perfect Lamb of God. He was the spotless, unblemished, undefiled, holy Lamb of God. And He is the answer this morning. There are probably people here this morning under the sound of my voice, you've rejected Christ and you've rejected God and you've rejected God's answer because just like Naaman, when you see the answer, you look at the river and you say it's polluted and it's filthy and there's people that have claimed to have been through that river and their lives don't look it and their lives don't live it. And if you look at the news, you'll see that there's people, and I confess it, doing wicked things all under the name of Christianity. There's pastors that have fallen flat on their faces and given all of us a bad name. But friend, it doesn't ruin God. God is still perfect. God is still holy. He is still the answer this morning to your every need. Get your eyes off of people and get your eyes on Christ. He is the answer this morning. He is the answer. Naaman had his own way of cleaning up. Don't we all? How many folks do you know that you've invited to the church? And many of them are honest when they tell you that 
There's just some things I need to get cleaned up in my life first. Uh, there's some things I need to, to do first, and then, and then I'll get, get into church. And Can I tell you, you just need to come to God as you are. We sang that song this morning, Just As I Am. I think it is a good thing to try to clean our lives up. There's nothing wrong with uh, trying to be a, a good moral person, but that's not going to save you. And the reality is this, friend, that you could live your life to the best of your ability. You could live your life as perfect and holy as you know how. And the Bible tells us our righteousness is still as filthy rags to God. You still need a Savior this morning. You still need a Savior. Naaman had his own way of cleaning up. We can't clean ourselves up. Man, it'd do us good to just get a hold of that and understand I can't clean myself up. I've got to do it God's way. I've got to believe what God says. And I've got to simply obey Him. And I've got to trust that God, if I believe You, if I believe Your Word, and I put my faith in You, and I do what You ask me to do, You'll clean me up. You'll take care of the needs. You'll meet the need. It's God that does the cleansing of the human heart. Naaman thought he'd clean himself up. He had his own way. And he was offended at the answer. People are still looking at the filth caused by the fall instead of looking to God. God was not damaged by the fall. He is the answer to the fall this morning. Can I tell you that God still heals. He still does miracles. He still saves souls. Our wickedness, man's wickedness, everything that you can point to of someone you've ever known in the church that fell flat on their face, every piece of, uh, of, of, of problem that you can point to that clouds the waters of the river, do not hinder God from being able to take the blood of Jesus Christ and wipe it across the heart of a man or a woman, a boy or a child, but put faith in Jesus. God can take that person and make him white as snow this morning. He's still the answer. The Jordan, the river, it might be polluted, but the God of the river still makes all things new this morning. Have you been made new this morning? Have you been made new? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Has He washed your heart white as snow? If you're going to be healed, if you're going to be saved, can I tell you, you have to go through God's river of cleansing by faith. We see that Naaman is healed. In verse 14, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Naaman is healed. But here's the important thing. It wasn't until after he did it God's way. There's some significance about the number seven. I'm not preaching on it this morning. But let me tell you this. He could have went back to any of those three rivers that he named and he could have dipped in them seven times and he wouldn't have been healed. You've got to do it God's way and God's way alone. We don't write the rule book. We don't tell God, here's how I'm going to be healed. We don't kneel at an altar and tell God, I'll let you save me if you do this or that. He's the one that writes the rule book. And this morning, can I tell you that He died on Calvary's cross for you and I. He's done enough. There's nothing else He needs to do. He's made the way. He cried out, it is finished. And we just need to believe Him and put our faith in Him this morning. It's His way or no way at all. 
It's His way or no way at all. Naaman wasn't healed after the first dip. He wasn't healed after the second dip. On and on, he was healed after the seventh time. And I tell you, Naaman, it didn't look like this. We've got to get a hold of this as a church. There's a lot of people disagree with me on this, but you look at the text and you just listen to what I have to say. Naaman didn't dip down in that water and come up and be partially healed and realize he needed another dip. He didn't progressively get healed as through seven times of dipping and finally, after doing everything that God said, he was whole. It was all or nothing. And I tell you, you need to repent of your sins this morning and follow after God. If you haven't repented of your sins, if you're not following after Him, you're not serving Him at all. We live in a faulty generation of people that live just like those who wandered in the wilderness. Remember, they had to go across the Jordan to get into the Promised Land. They had to go through it. Now follow me and listen to me. And if you disagree with me, that's fine for you to disagree with me. But I want you to ask yourself, is this, the word of, is this what God's Word shows us or not? You see, most people in the church are still in the wilderness. They've never pro- gone over into the Promised Land. And see, what they're being told is that it's just a process. That, that here's step one and step two and you just keep going and keep going and, and somehow we justify their sin. We justify their unrepentance. We try to explain to them why things aren't happening the way that they were in the New Testament church. Why your life isn't radically transformed like the believers in the first century church. It's a progressive thing. Just take another dip and keep dipping until you're made whole. And I tell you, in my opinion, that's a slap in the face to God. God is able to make you whole this morning. God is able to save you to the uttermost. God is able to change you. The problem isn't God, my friends. The problem is us and our unwillingness to obey Him, to believe Him by faith. Now, these, these, these people that died in the wilderness, here's the important point. I'm going to give you a Bible text. These people who died in the wilderness... Would you agree with me? They believed God existed. Sure they did. Had they tasted of the miracles of God? Sure they had. Had they been fed by the manna from heaven? Sure they had. Had they drank from the water from the rock? Sure they had. Had they went through the Red Sea as the Red Sea was parted? Sure they had. And were they following God in circles their entire lives in the wilderness until they died. Yes. Now the question is, were these a group of believers who just never took the final step of faith that, that they needed to, and they were just in this progressive area of their faith where, where they weren't totally trusting God? Let's let God decide that. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not those who came up out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who did not obey? 
So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. God says they were unbelievers. And they never entered into my rest because of their unbelief. Can I tell you, it's all or nothing with God. Either you put your faith in Him or you haven't this morning. I'm going to do my best in a few short minutes to, to, to try to explain some things so that you don't leave vastly confused this morning. But you cannot separate faith from obedience. It's impossible. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. All, if you know anything about the Bible, it is the faith hall of fame. It's the faith chapter. And you'll find that by faith, Noah obeyed. It is by faith that we obey God. The, the idea that you can disobey God and refuse to follow Him and consciously reject His laws, yet have faith in Him at the same time, is not a biblical concept. It doesn't exist. When you look through the book of 1 John, John tells you, look at your life. Do you have the obedience in your life that reflects a transformed life? Have you really been plunged through the flood? So, Pastor, are you saying that our works save us? No. Neither was John. I am saying that when you're saved, you'll have works. All the obedience in the world is not going to save you. There are people that are well-disciplined. There are people that live better, good, moral people that live better by accident than some of us live on purpose. We ought to be good, moral people. We ought to do the right thing. We must learn to obey God in all areas of our life. But that in and of itself doesn't save us. And don't, don't confuse me this morning. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. Our gospel that's going out in this nation has been tainted and watered down. And I believe people by the millions are wandering in the wilderness and they're being lied to and told that they're, that they're saved, but they've never entered into the promised land. They've never been transformed. And when they look at their heart and they, and they examine their heart, they can confess honestly there has never been a real change. Naaman was healed. There is a, a, a good ending to this story. I know it's kind of heavy right now. But we've got to deal with this. I'd rather make you mad and have you never come back and know that I told you the truth. Amen. And try to preach something that makes everybody happy and makes everybody leave here feeling like you're saved. Because I know this for a fact. I know this. In a crowd this size... Not everybody here is saved. Now, I don't know who you are. I'm not God, but I'll guarantee it. Guarantee it. And in a crowd this size, there's probably people who think they're saved that aren't. This is an important thing. People say, Pastor, don't deal with that. Just, just, just don't go there. Why not? You know, there's really nothing more important. Nothing. Not, I don't care. I mean, not who you're going to marry. Not where you're going to live the next 40 years. There's nothing more important than knowing that you're saved. Nothing. Nothing. And you might not like the way I'm relaying this, and you might feel like it comes across heavy, but I promise you this. I promise you with all of my heart, I love you and I want you saved. I promise you that. And I'm not angry with you. But I am angry. I am. 
I'm angry at the lukewarm, watered, tamed down thing that we call the church. I'm angry at this watered down gospel that's going out. I'm angry that people have been lied to. I'm angry that we as a church as a whole have forgotten that the power is in the Word of God. Just preach what it says. Let God do the rest and God will save sinners. It does get me going. And I would argue it's something worth being angry over. And we need to have passion sometimes. Can I tell you this morning, you can know that you're saved. You can know. You can. I would also argue that if you've been saved, you will know. I would argue that. I don't know how a person, a man or a woman, can have their heart transformed, can be their, their sins washed away, their black heart made white as snow, the Holy Spirit of God moved from not living in them to indwelling in them, changing them, born again, all things made new, a new creation in Christ. I don't know how a person could have that experience and not know it. You won't need me to tell you it happened when it happens, brother. You'll know. And if you can't say this morning, that you've had that born-again experience, can I caution you to look carefully at the Word of God and know that you're saved? If you don't know, you need to know. You know, I, ho- I heard uh, Adrian Rogers, that great saint of God that has gone on before, she made this comment, and it, it's kind of silly, but it stuck with me. He said, we have this Christianity that's teaching that that Christianity is from a tadpole to a frog type deal. Where you just kind of start out as a tadpole and as life progresses, you grow up a little bit and you eventually mature into a frog and the whole goal is just to become a good frog. He said, but that's not Christianity. He said, Christianity is when God takes the kiss of grace and He kisses that frog and that frog becomes a prince. That's Christianity. The transforming power. And can I tell you, God still has the same power that He had yesterday. He has it today and He'll have it forever. He has the power this morning to heal your broken heart. He has the power this morning to save your soul. He has the power to replace your despair with hope. He can do it now. Naaman went and he dipped seven times. Let's look at the amazing healing of God. He dipped seven times. Thank God for that seventh dip. Notice that his skin became as that of a little child. If you read earlier in the text, in the chapter, you find that Naaman was a commander. Naaman was a tough guy. He was a warrior. And he was so great at what he had done. The Bible says the Lord had given him favor in in, uh, overtaking several nations. He was so great at what he had done. This guy was a brute. He was a man's man. A man that was skilled with the sword. A man that had practiced war and had lived war and had been a man of war. Can I tell you that I imagine that his skin, before becoming leprous, was probably tough. He probably had some scars and some battle wounds from from the years of being this great soldier of God. And I imagine, as most of us, would. Naaman's only wish was that, God, you just restore me to the place I was before I had this leprosy come upon me. If you just get me back to, 
to where I was, where I can function again, that would be great. But when he, by obedience, obeyed the Word of God and finally dipped that seven times, the Bible says he came up more healed than he ever would have thought or imagined. His skin was like the skin of a child. Man, when I found God, you can't put it into words. When he found me, that day that I was saved, that day that I was born again, I can't put it into words, but all I can tell you is He did above and abundantly beyond all I could ever ask or imagine. Everything that I ever could have thought of that God could have did for me to make my life better and to change me, He took all of that and He just went so far beyond that that I could never put it into words. This morning, we serve a God that still does above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. He still has the power to change your life this morning. Some of you are looking at the water and you're looking at the river. You're looking at all the problems of the church. and This church believes that thing. This church believes that thing. And and this pastor did that thing. And my grandma says she she, she was a Christian, but she was always so mean to us. And and, and you look at all of these problems in the church and you're saying, "I, I don't want anything to do with that. Can I tell you, get your eyes off of the water. And get your eyes onto the God of the waters. He still heals this morning. Are you allowing people to keep you from God? Are you allowing unbelief, if you will, spiritually speaking, to keep you out of that promised land? Have you come to the place this morning where you have just honestly accepted and believed? I'm just never going to be healed of this pain. I'm just going to hurt deep in my heart the rest of my life until God finally takes me home. It's a possibility. But friend, I can tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. God can heal your wounded heart. God can touch your need this morning. If you're lost, I don't care what you've done, who you've hurt, Because while we were yet enemies to God, Christ died for us. He loves you. Even though you're unlovable. He's already paid the price this morning for every wicked deed you've ever done. For every lie you've ever told. For every evil thing you've ever thought. He took all the sins that you've ever committed and was placing them on His shoulders when He was nailed to Calvary's tree so that you could find forgiveness and hope in Him and in Him alone. He is the answer this morning. Can I tell you, don't look at the pollution of the river. Because the God of the river still makes all things new. And in closing, it's asked for our worship team to come. Can I tell you that one day, this river is going to be clean.